turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We've been in 1 Corinthians 13 for a couple weeks here. Uh, preached a few messages on uh, the war on love. And we spent a couple of weeks defining what love was. We talked about the wrath of God last week. We talked about some hard issues. And this week we're going to get into some hard issues a little bit more. And you know, one of the things that I really feel like the Lord is trying to do to us is give us an understanding of the fact that we are designed for love because we are created by God who is love. And when he made us, we were designed to be instruments through which his love would flow. Problem is, is we have some problems in our own heart, some issues in our own heart, and sometimes we get some blockages in our heart, if you will. There are things that sort of erode our love and it blocks the love of God from flowing through us the way that it should so that we glorify God the way that we should. So I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. You can turn there with me. I'm going to read uh, a few verses, verse 1 through 5, and then we'll just sort of get started in it. But I want to specifically talk about one particular thing this morning, and I'll read through this. But I want to speak about envy this morning. So 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 5. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. We talked about that last week. But here's what we're going to talk about this week. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Let's pray together real quick. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence this morning. We thank you so much for your word. And, and, and God, we, we desire to learn to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor and one another, God, even as you've loved us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, there are issues in our hearts that need to be dealt with and things that we need to understand in order for our hearts to be clean and pure so that your love can flow freely through that. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us this morning. We ask you to help us, God, and tear down any strongholds in our life that would keep us from experiencing your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I really, I really like these verses, and oftentimes I don't preach them. You know, you, you, you preach these verses when you do marriages, and sometimes I think they almost come, become cliche because we know how to quote them and we know the verses, but we have difficulty sometimes applying them to our daily life. Now, I like where it's situated in the Bible, just like I said last week, because 1 Corinthians 13 is situated right between 12 and 14. That's pretty profound, isn't it? And, it's, and right there between 12 and 14, 12 and 14 has to do with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how those gifts of the Holy Spirit should operate. So Paul is saying, look, the gifts of the Spirit are actually very important to the Christian life. They're not something that should just be an add-on or something that, that you might be interested in or, well, you know, if the Lord gives it to me, then, then that'll be a good thing. But he says, no, when it comes to things like prophecy, when it comes to things like healing and miracles, when it comes to these things, he says you should earnestly desire the best gifts because if you are a Christian, you are filled with and anointed with the Holy Spirit and you are to bring the presence and the power of God in a broken world so that you can bring healing to a broken, a broken person, to somebody that's, that's struggling with addiction, that you can bring deliverance, you can bring an encouraging word from God. But then he goes on to say, at the end of chapter 12, he says, look, I want you to earnestly desire these gifts. Don't just wait on them. Don't just say, well, Lord, if, if, if it just so happens you want me, to, want me to have those gifts, I'll take them. No, he says, earnestly desire God to use you in the, these gifts. But then he says, yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, I've spoken with people before and they'll say, well, you know, the Bible says that the more excellent way is love, so gifts aren't that important. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you should desire the gifts of the Spirit because that's how you will begin to see the gifts of the Spirit manifesting in your life so that you can minister the power of God to others. But he says the more excellent way than your desire is actually that you begin to love the people that you are ministering to. And when you love the people that you are ministering to, healing and miracles begin to flow through you. A word from heaven begins to flow through you because you are connected to the source and you have love for the people around you enough that God can flow through you freely. So he's saying, look, you can have all these things. He says, look, if you can, you can speak in the tongues of men and angels and we believe in, in speaking in tongues. He says, you can have faith that can literally move mountains. 
He says you can have knowledge and prophecy and understanding so that you understand all sorts of things and, and can even, even see things that nobody else can see and fathom all mysteries. He says, but if you do not have love, all of those things are zero. You can speak in tongues and it means nothing. You can pray healing for somebody only for the sake of the fact that you can say, look, man, we, we saw somebody healed. Who cares if it's not done in love? And see, there's a lot of things we can do in the church. We talked about this last week. We can have awesome services. Our music can be powerful. Our preaching can just be moving. It can be gifted. We can have oratorical skill. But if everything we do is not pursued through love and the motive of it is not love and ultimately it's not about increasing love in our lives and other people's lives, he says, man, you might as well give up on it. It amounts to nothing. You have nothing. And see, we judge ourselves as a church and as a people a lot of times based on that. We'll even judge ourselves based upon uh, whether or not God uses us in the gifts of the Spirit. But he's saying, Paul is saying the one judgment that you can use to evaluate whether or not you're living the Christian life well is whether or not you are loving God and you are loving others. Amen. He's saying that's the one test, the one evaluation that you need to take into account to see whether or not you're doing this thing. Now, what we're going to talk about first, number one in your notes, is that envy is the enemy of love. Envy is the enemy of love. Envy wars at true love. And it actually comes against the greatest commandment. And the fundamental attitude of an envious person is directly opposed to love because to love is to seek others' good and rejoice when they have that good. But to, to envy someone is actually to try to undercut someone's good and sorrow and be upset when good is happening to them. Anybody ever been in that situation? You don't have to raise your hand. I got one. So, I mean, we, we deal with this, and it's hard to actually really, really go at the root of this, but I'm telling you, we can get set free from this, I believe, with all of my heart, and it's important that we understand what envy is. It comes against the greatest commandment, like I said, because the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But see, I cannot love my neighbor as myself when I want myself to be better, in a better condition, in better shape, to get more glory, to get more honor, to get more stuff than my neighbor because I'm focused on myself. And matter of fact, when my neighbor gets something better than me, it upsets me because I don't have it. Now, how can I love that person with which I'm upset about because they have what I don't have? I can't love that person. But what's worse is then all of a sudden because, because I'm focused on myself so much that now I'm feeling a little bit bitter or I have a little bit of resentment towards somebody who's got something that I want now, all of a sudden, my love toward God is messed up because I feel like God has shortchanged me. He's holding out on me. And I begin to question whether or not God is good at all because I've been serving the Lord. I've been doing what the Lord's been asking me to do. And how come God's giving them that, but he's not giving me that? You may amen me this morning. That gets in our hearts, man, and it begins to erode and war at the very reason that we were created. We become dissatisfied with our place in the world and with, God, with God, what God has given us. And all of a sudden, we lay around bitter a lot of times, and we have a difficulty beginning to love people the way that God's told us to. Now, let me give you a few verses here. Exodus twenty seventeen. this is the 10th commandment. And if you read the 10 commandments, basically, the first four are about loving God well. And the next six are about loving your, your neighbor well. And the tenth one says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or a donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I drove down the road, buddy, and I saw what looked like an ox this morning. I was coveting that sucker. But let me, you may not covet somebody's ox anymore, but you drive by and you see their car and you covet your neighbor's car, right? This is Old Testament. This is back in the day. They didn't have, they didn't have that back then. So then, so then we come over into the, a little bit further. In Proverbs 14.30, it says, let's read Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Now, I, was, I've been, I read some articles the past couple of weeks, and they were written by, by medical doctors. And these articles, and this is what, this is what uh, Forrest was actually talking about this morning. He said, we believe in creating an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move in. Now, if God is love and the Holy Spirit is God, then what kind of atmosphere does he move in? Love, an atmosphere of love. 
And these medical doctors actually, they became Christians and they started doing these different studies. But what they came to the conclusion about in their studies is that the human body was actually designed and made for love. And scientifically, you can apply all sorts of medicine and all sorts of different things. And they can work sometimes and they do work sometimes. But the greatest contributor to human health is whether or not that person lives in a state of love or a state of fear. In a state of love or a state of loneliness. Whether or not they're in a community where they're cared for and they're loved, it actually affects their health. And when we get things in our life like unforgiveness and bitterness and envy, he says that it literally begins to have a negative effect on your health and it can actually be scientifically proven that there are telomeres in your DNA that split on the ends and all of a sudden you begin to age more rapidly. People get things like, uh, they, they get things in their bones, literally. They get they get. Arthritis, and I'm not saying that every disease is caused because of that, but my point is is that healing and health and life in your body comes from the place of knowing that you are loved by God first and foremost and allowing that love to flow through you to others and be in loving relationships and it physically, mentally, and emotionally brings health and life to your body. Amen? We're created for love. And so it's not, it's, it's not enough that we just have everything else. We are designed for love. And really the reason that we see sin in the world is, is because there's a breakdown of love. And 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks a little bit more. It says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Next verse says, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. Now, envy and malice and, 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 and deceit and hypocrisy, all these things are really rooted together. And he's saying, look, you need to, you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. Y'all, y- y'all know the Lord or you wouldn't be here. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And he's saying, what you need to do is get beyond just taking a sip of milk every Sunday morning. And you need to begin to crave that pure spiritual milk so that as a newborn baby, you can begin to grow up in Christ. And to grow up in Christ is to grow up in love. And as you are growing up as a Christian, you are growing out of envy. You're growing out of malice. You're growing out of deceit and hypocrisy. And God is beginning to shape your heart into a heart that loves well. Amen? This is what He wants to do. This is about spiritual growth. And this is what He wants to bring into our life. So the logic of 1 Corinthians 13 is really this. Because, because here's the thing. Even as preachers, a lot of times, you know, we like to give you points and say, do this, do this, do this. And I'm telling you, I cannot just say, all right, yeah, look, love, love is patient, love is kind. You got to be patient, you got to be kind. All right, don't envy nobody. Quit boasting, quit being proud. Have a good Sunday. We'll talk to you later. It doesn't change anything. Because that was the whole point of the Old Testament was to prove that we can't simply put rules on people and say, do that, and you actually effectively do that. You are, you are in a relationship with God. You're designed for a relationship with God. And the only way you become patient, you become kind, and you learn not to envy and love others is because you're in a relationship with the source of love. And all of a sudden, when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're so filled with the Holy Spirit that the gifts of the Spirit begin to manifest. But guess what? Love begins to grow. I need you to understand something, too, is that the gifts of the Spirit are given. And that means regardless of who you are, what you've done, sometimes we put a big big spiritual thing on a person who, who, who operates in spiritual gifts. And the truth is, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're any more spiritual than anybody else. Because a gift is freely given. That's why it's called a gift. But a fruit is cultivated and grown. God, don't just zap me with love. But I have had God move on me. And look, there are times when God has used me in the spiritual gifts when I've had the worst attitude anybody could have. I've been sitting here in the church being like, man, I'm about ready to get out of here. This is awful. And then all of a sudden the Spirit moved me to minister to somebody and things will come out of my mouth. And I know what I, 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 it's, I'm, it's not like I'm out of control, but encouraging words, life-giving words, loving words will come to encourage a person. And I'm thinking in my mind, Lord, I don't even hardly believe this right now. Because that's how good the Holy Spirit is. That's how good God is. If you are open to God, He will use you. But the point is, at the end of the day, it's not enough to have gifts. You've got to have a heart that is bent on love and growing in love and focused on love. Because I don't just want to have the gift. I want to have the motive behind the gift. 
I want to pray for somebody and, and, and truly desire their healing, not for the sake of them being healed, but because they're broken and God loves them. I want my heart, that, that my heart to, to line up with my actions and what God's doing. And so the logic of 1 Corinthians 13 is that God is love and He created you and you are designed for love. And in the beginning, God knelt down. And, and, and Adam, when he, when he formed us out of the dust of the earth, the Scripture paints this portrait of God literally kneeling down and adoring Him. That's what the Scripture says in the Hebrew language. He knelt down, He adored Him, He formed Him, and He breathed the breath of life into Him. And in that moment when he breathed, he was breathing love into his soul. And he became a living being. And as soon as Adam took his first breath and he opened his eyes, he saw the loving face of his father God. And he knew that he, this is what he was designed for. He was designed to walk with God in the garden. He was designed to hear from God, to have communion with God on a daily basis. And, 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 Adam, and Adam and Eve are made, and they're in the garden. They're having communion with God. They experience the presence of God. And they are conduits of his love. They were designed out of this relationship with God to begin to steward the earth, to, have, to, have, to govern the earth, to take care of the earth. And as long as they did that, they would be such a reflection of God's love that God's glory would expand throughout the earth. But there was a serpent that came in, right? We were designed for this love to flow through us, but sin came in and it warred at that love. And the first thing that happened, what's so interesting, is Satan comes in, and when sin enters in, he convinces them to sin. And when it entered in, what happened is this love, this purpose that was in our life, this meaning, this joy that was in our life, all of a sudden, because we were duped and sin entered in, it was that we, all of a sudden, our love turned inward. We no longer focused on God, but we began to focus on ourselves. And that love turned inward. And when it, when it came inward, see, we begin to live out of desperation rather than celebration. Because when we're in relationship with God and God is pouring into us, love overflows. You don't have to force it. You don't have to muster it. When you see people, it overflows through you. Why? Because you're connected to the source of love. But when we're not connected to God, guess what we have? We have this big vacuum-shaped hole on the inside of us. And all of a sudden, we are scrapping, scrounging, trying to find anything we can to have that feeling, that need met in our lives. we got a vacuum on the inside of us, and every human being was designed for love. But guess what? Every human being has also been cut off from God because of sin. And so that leaves this gaping hole, and there's a million different idols, a million different things that are out there in the world. Money, resources, cars, clothes, careers, all of these things, relationships, marriages, people, and we pursue those things relentlessly because we think that somehow those things are going to give us some worth, some value, some feeling of significance, some success, and I'm going to feel better about myself because ultimately those things are going to make me feel love. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We've all pursued it. We've all went after these things in our life thinking if we could just get a little more here, if I could just have that relationship, if I could just have a nicer house, if I could just have this, what, you would feel a little bit more worthy, you'd feel a little bit more valuable, and ultimately what you're chasing after is love. And you're chasing after unconditional love because what we believe is that we're not loved unless we meet that standard or that mark in our lives but God wants you to know and understand that when he breathed the breath of life into Adam and blessed Adam, it was before he did anything. It wasn't about what he did. It was because of who he was. He was the son of God. And God loves you regardless of what you've done or what you've achieved. And when you can get rooted in that identity in him, something begins to change. But see, now we create a world of idols and we seek other things to fill the place of God. We look for our worth, we look for our purpose, we look for our destiny, we look for some feeling of success and contentment in anything other than God, and we relentlessly pursue these things, and now we live out of an emptiness rather than living out of a fullness. When you have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, you live out of a fullness. When that's cut off, you feel this sense of despair. You feel this sense of emptiness. You feel this sense of needing more. Uh, maybe another relationship will take care of it. Maybe a little bit more money will take care of it. Maybe a, a better career, a better job will take care of it. And then here's the thing, though. In our world, when this begins to happen and, and, and envy begins to take root, see, and this is number two in your notes, is that envy makes life a competition. Envy makes life a competition because you've got to understand, if we're all cut off from God, then there's only limited resources. And only, only so many people can be the best at everything and only so many people can have certain things. We can't all have everything, can we? 
So as we pursue these things to give us worth and meaning, man, we begin to trample on other people just to get those things, and life becomes a competition slowly but surely, and we live in the I got to get more mode rather than this overflow mode. And all of a sudden, we, we, we enter into that. And here's the, here's the problem is that everybody's seeking resources. Everybody's competing for worth and money and attention and goods and security, but not everybody can win. Let me ask you something. You ever lost? Have you ever lost in that competition? Son, I have. I've lost a few battles. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I've, I've, set my, I've set my heart and my affection on some things in this world, and I've lost those things. And I've gotten bitter because of it. And, and, and when, we, when we start to identify this, we begin to get at, at, at this big issue of what's wrong with the human heart because envy is the word we use to describe the feeling we have when we lose the competition game. When somebody else gets what we want, when somebody else gets what we put our eyes on, and when somebody else has it, all of a sudden we get a little bit bitter, we get a little bit upset, and that is what we call envy. Yeah. This is one of them good messages, ain't it? Like, where everybody's just like, I, I probably better not move too much, you know? Let's just sit still. Let it, we're going to let this thing pass. It's going to be good. It'll be all right. But, you know, the thing is, when I, when I thought about this, we don't, we don't think about envy much. We just don't think about it because, because I'm, even, there are times when I've been envy in my life, and somehow or another, I think I'm so, such the center of the world that I'm justified in my envy. I'm justified in, in, in being upset over somebody having something I want. And man, it's sinful right down to its root. And God has to come in and correct you and say, Son, I know you think you deserve that, but you, you're missing the point and you don't realize that your love is being eroded slowly but surely. And while you're in this competition game, scrapping up a couple of mor- morsels of worth around you, right? Somebody else is going to get a morsel that you can't get and it's going to destroy you and you are going to be in an endless pursuit of never fully attaining what you're looking for because you can never find that. There is nobody in this world that will ever get to the point, the apex. Matter of fact, I believe that a lot of times in life, people set that apex, and when they finally get there, it is so depleting, so demoralizing, because they realize it did not fulfill what they thought it was going to fulfill in their lives. And the only person, the only thing that can actually do that is Jesus Christ in our lives, but, but yet somehow we get transformed into thinking that these other things are going to do the job. But we get angry about it, man, and it gets down right in, the, right in your bones. It gets right in your soul and starts to mess you up. There's this movie. Uh, it's called Chariots of Fire. Y'all ever heard of the movie Chariots of Fire? It's, it's an old movie. Back in the 1920s, there was this guy named Eric Liddell. He was a Christian man. He was a Christian minister, minister missionary, and, uh, and, and he ran in the Olympics. But he was, he, he was, a, he was a man of God, and he had this rival... Uh, I think his name was uh, Harold Abrahams, and he had this rival, and they both raced, and and Harold Abrahams actually won won one race because Eric Liddell never trained and never ran on Sunday, and his his best race, like the 40-meter dash or whatever, happened on a Sunday, and he opted out of running, and the other guy won, but he came back the next day for the 100-meter race and won the thing, but when they were interviewing and talking about these guys in the movie, it portrays it, is, is he said... Eric Liddell said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And the point he was trying to make was that that it's not when I win that I feel God's pleasure. He says, I run and I feel God's pleasure. And his point was, is that whether I win or not, I already know that I'm loved. I already understand the gift that has been given me. And I'm completely content in giving it my 100% all. And if I fall short and don't win, it doesn't matter because I've already felt the love of God and I know I'm already pleasing to God. Whether I win or I lose, it does not identify who I am or change who I am. I remember when Ronda Rousey, y'all know Ronda Rousey, right? UFC fighter, some of y'all do. Some of y'all are too holy. But Ronda Rousey, she, she was winning all kinds of fights, man, and then all of a sudden she got in a ring with one girl, and this girl just knocked her slap out. And she was, she was interviewed on, on a TV show, and, and when she got knocked out, she said that immediately when she got up and she kind of came to herself, that the first thing she thought about was killing herself because now that she had lost, she didn't know who she was. And you say, well, well thank God we're not like that. But we are like that in a lot of ways. When we, when we idolize something about ourselves where we think, man, this is what it's all about, and then all of a sudden that thing is stripped from us, 
then we don't have a foundation to stand on anymore. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. See, Harold Abrahams, he said something opposite of what Eric Liddell said. He said, if I can't win, I won't run. If I can't win, I won't run because, he, because if he loses, he knew that all of a sudden everything was stripped from him. He no longer has any value. He no longer has any worth. He doesn't know who he is anymore. If he can't win, if he can't be the best, then he doesn't want to run. And that began to eat at him. It began to destroy him. It began to get on the inside of him. See, Eric Liddell actually said that his competitors, he valued his competitors because they were partners with him in seeking excellence. And he loved those people. And he encouraged his brothers and sisters. Now, what is it in the Christian life? You know, we, 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 want, to, we want to excel. We want to do well in every area of our lives. But when we see somebody who is doing better than us, the Christian is supposed to celebrate that person and encourage that person. And the humble Christian is willing to be eclipsed by somebody else being better because it will bring glory to God. Because the end goal of this whole thing is not to bring glory to myself or bring glory to you. The end goal of this whole thing is to bring glory to God. And if he is able to use somebody else to bring glory to him, if somebody else is able to glorify God, then we should celebrate and rejoice because it's not about us, it's about him. And this is why John the Baptist came into the picture and he said, Lord, I must decrease, but he must increase. And man, when it comes to God and when it comes to people around us, we need to have that motto in our heart and in our mind. God, I must decrease, but he must increase. And how is it that some, when, when, when all of a sudden we begin as Christians to say, look, that we're going to do what Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, that we're no longer going to look on the things of ourselves and the interests of ourselves, but we're going to look at the betterment of others and the interests of others to better them. Now, I know that's a difficult thing to do, but when we are able to truly come into this agape kind of love that we talked about last week, this self-sacrificial, self-giving love that is willing to lay itself down for the betterment of another. This is the attitude that we come into. This is what we begin to experience. You see, there's a difference between justice and envy because we got an inbuilt sense of fairness. And there's a big difference. Like, for example, if, if, I, just, if I just envy somebody else's... Well, let's put it this way. Let's say I envy somebody else's house... But we were both going after that house, and then it turned out that, uh, that the person selling the house, he just don't like dudes with beards, so he just said, well, I ain't giving him that house. Well, that's a justice issue. That's not fair. He should not have discriminated against my beard. Amen? That's a justice issue. But if I'm envious because I wanted that house, but I just don't have the finances to get that house, and somebody else does, or th then, then that's an envy issue. Okay? If, if, if I want a particular job and, and, again, somebody else gets the job and, it, once again, it's because they're discriminating against my beard, that's a, that's a justice issue. Listen, they'll discriminate around here, holiness people, they'll discriminate against you and your beard. But that, that's a justice issue. But if all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I realize that this person is actually a better candidate for the job and I'm mad about it, that's an envy issue. And so there's a difference between justice and envy but envy is when our sense of justice gets turned in on itself and it curves in on itself and all of a sudden we are self-focused and if you read throughout scripture envy happens over and over and over again the very first sin what happens is that the serpent comes to eve and he he convinces her to be envious of god he says look god is actually holding out on you he's not giving you all that he could give you and he knows that the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And he makes her envious of God. And all of a sudden, she falls into that trap, commits sin, takes the bait, goes into it. And just right after him, she has, she has a, a son named Cain. And you'll notice what happens with Cain is that Cain sees that God recognizes Abel's sacrifice, but he does not recognize Cain's sacrifice. Cain gets envious, man. He's upset that God is giving him favor because he's offering an acceptable sacrifice, but he's not offering, but Cain's not, and he's not receiving his sacrifice. So guess what? Cain is envious. He gets angry. He kills Abel. And it continues to go on. Joseph's brothers, guess what? Joseph, man, his dad made him a beautiful coat. It looked good. And Joseph would sort of just prance around and say, look at my coat, boys. And so they said, you know what? I don't like that kid. Let's kill him. And so they got him, and they tried. Then one of them was like, Well, you know what? I envy him too. I don't like him, but let's don't kill him. That'll make dad mad. 
Maybe dad will give us a coat once we get one of him killed. You know what I'm saying? And so, so, they, so, then, so then they send him into slavery. You see envy at work. It continues to go on throughout Scripture. David is the king of Israel, has everything you could want. Matter of fact, at this point, dude's got several wives. But he's walking across the top of the roof one day, and all of a sudden he sees the best-looking woman in Israel over there bathing. And he thinks to himself, you know what? It's just not right that the king has got wives, but he ain't got that one. And so he said, I'm going to take that one too, and I'm envious of her husband, so I'm going to kill him. That's envy. He said, well, thank God we wouldn't kill nobody. No, but murder is still down in there, down in the recesses, down in the darkness. We don't always let it come, come out completely, but when that envy is in there, there are all sorts of other things in an in, in infant stage just ready to be birthed if you will allow it to grow. And that's the thing that you've got to get to the root of before it sits there year after year after year. Bitterness year after year after year, just slowly growing up and infecting every relationship in your life, infecting the way that you think about everything in your life, infecting the way that you think about your future, and the worst thing of all, infecting the way you see God and His goodness toward you. I'm telling you, I counsel people all the time that year after year, all of a sudden you get down the road, they love God, they believe God, man, they want to serve God, but there are little roots of them really at the end of the day not fully trusting and believing that God is good. Because somehow they've not gotten what they wanted, they've not gotten what they needed when they needed it, and deep down they love God, but there's just a little root of something that says maybe God ain't as good as he said he was. Man, when that gets in us, all of a sudden it begins to erode who we really are in, in Scripture, now, I, know, I know probably none of you all deal, deal with envy. And, and when, you know, I thought about it, and I thought about a lot of these different issues and envy. And I'm such a righteous person that I had difficulty finding real examples in my own life. Amen? That was a joke. Um, so I, I wanted to give you a couple. But, but, but I, I remember envy even like when I was a little bitty kid. I can remember that me, me and my friends, we were always like super competitive. And, and, and I was good in, in some sports better than a couple of my other buddies, but in some sports they were a little better than me. So I, and I can remember, man, like, like in seventh grade, uh, there were two of us, actually me and Richard. We were, we were playing, playing baseball, and we were in seventh grade, and, and we actually got bumped up to play eighth grade. And son, I remember two of my buddies, they just shut me off out of that. And I'd get around and they'd be like, blank you, buddy. I'm thinking, buddy, you're 10 years old. You know, but then in another sport, in another sport, they would do it. But then, and, I would, and then that same junk would come up in my heart. So our relationships were tumultuous. Why? Because we were in competition, man. And that stuff was eating us up. Now, here, now let me give you one that's even better because as a pastor, it'll make more sense to you. Because, because I know, after, I, after I became a pastor, I became perfect and flawless. And since that, since that I've not had any issues. Uh, but no, no, so, so my, my friend and I, we, we were going to plant a church, okay? This is going to get real for just a minute, okay? Y'all going to see me exposed just for a minute. So my friend and I, we were going to plant a church. This was, this was some years back. And uh, man, it was, it was going good. Like well, in, in a week, I had like people donate like $10,000 to me. We were getting trained. We had the plans. And this, this one, some of y'all are going to know some, what I'm talking about, but that's okay because it's all good. We've already talked about it and dealt with it. It's all, it's all out in the open. But either way, uh, this one church, real big church, nice church, good church, says, hey, why don't you guys come over and intern, and we'll, we'll, we'll teach you all a few things, and we'll do some stuff and, and help you all out. So we go over there, and in the process of time, as we're over there, they offer him a job, and they give him this job, and at the same time, they didn't give me a job, and, and, but, but somebody else offered me a job somewhere else, and I took this job as pastor, and, and after I said, look, man, you, they offered you that, Clearly, maybe we're, it's just isn't going to work out. I said, take that, dude. It's, it's good. You take that. I know it's what you want. You take that. And so we, 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 we still loved each other. No hard feelings. Nothing, nothing good going on. I go to this other church. Now, he's in this church with like 11,000 members. Okay? And, 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 man, they got everything going for them. And I go to this church where when we start, we had 40 members, and there wasn't one of them except me and Andrea under the age of 75. And, and we, and I know, I know this is terrible. I'm just opening my heart to you this morning as a pastor. Now, I'm a young man. I started pastoring that church when I was like 26. Uh, I was young. I was still dealing with some heart issues. 
But I struggled with that. And I was around these people so much. And they'd be like, hey, man, come over to the church. We want to talk to you. We want to hang out. And I'd go over there, and they'd be like 20 of them there. And they'd be like, hey, man, how's church going? What's been going on? We baptized 75 Sunday. I'm like, oh, yeah, you baptized 75. That's great. I'm like, we had less than 75 Sunday. What happens? What got in my heart? What got in my heart? It's envy. And I, you know what? I tried to play it off because, because I was justified in doing so. He got something that he wanted, and I didn't get it, and I felt like it wasn't really that bad. And the Lord had to really deal with my heart and say, Son, don't you realize what this is in your heart? This is something that's destructive. You have a difficult time celebrating when they do well. I mean, at the end of the day, you'll tell everybody, well, thank God people got saved. But deep down in your heart, there's something that has a difficult time celebrating. And let me tell you something. In our culture in southeastern Kentucky, there are churches everywhere where other churches get upset when other churches are doing well. Do you realize how evil that is? When other churches are growing, we should celebrate. When other churches are reaching people for Jesus, we should come alongside them and say, man, we're praying for you. Praise God, people are getting saved. If we don't see another person get saved in our church and other churches are seeing people get saved, we should celebrate that God is using somebody to advance the kingdom. And that's, man, I'm telling you, this stuff, though, it just slowly gets in the hearts of people and slowly gets in the heart of even churches and pastors and leaders. And they don't want to admit to it, but it's deep down in there and that thing has to be killed. Anybody amen me? It blocks the flow of love. Because all of a sudden, you cannot ascribe worth to someone you are competing with worth for. If I'm competing against him, I can't come up under him. I can't sacrifice myself in order for their betterment. It's an interesting thing. So, so I would tell my buddy this stuff. When I realized what was going on, I'd just come out. I'd call him up on the phone. I'd be like, dude, I love you, but here's how I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah you need to pray for me. And then he'd be like, well, I envy you. i say, shut up. You don't... <laughs> You don't envy me. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, praise God. <laughs> three, three in your notes. Envy, envy is always idle specific. It's idle specific. And here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is if you're a great violinist, I, don't, I, I can sit there and listen to you play violin and I'll just be like, wow, this is amazing. What a gift you have. It's beautiful. Can you believe this person that can play a violin like that? But if all of a sudden you come up in my realm, you know what I'm saying? If you're a worship leader, you don't care much about preachers doing real well. But you may care about other worship leaders that are doing real well. You know what I'm talking about? Why? Because you're comparing yourself against that person who is in your lane with which you identify yourself and you get your worth from. It's idol-specific. It's idol-specific. Whatever your idol is, whoever has that is the person you're competing with. So if cars are your idol, the dude with the real nice car, that's the guy you're competing with. If houses are your idol, the dude with the real nice house, that's what you're... If possessions are your idol, the person who has the most, that's who you're competing with, that's who you're comparing yourself with. If your career is your idol, you're comparing yourself against those who are in that career that somehow gets the bonuses and the, and the promotions and all the better stuff than you do. You compare yourself with those people. This is good and exposing, isn't it? It feels good this morning. It feels good. But they're always idol-specific. You know, there's this theory. I was, re I was reading something else the other day. Let me just meddle for a little bit, if you don't mind. Sometimes I like to do that. But I was, re I was reading this thing the other day. And so there's this, there, and I, I'll break it down for you after I say it, but it's the theory of mimetic desire, okay? That's what it's called if you ever want to look it up. But what it means is this is that 90% roughly of what you actually desire in this life is not because it's a pure desire. 90% of what you actually desire and want in this life is because you see other people desiring it. And you would not even want it if you didn't see other people wanting it. And in our culture... It is at an all-time high because we have things like Instagram that constantly we're scrolling through, and what do we see? Images of the best-case scenario of every person's life doing something. And the truth is, is if you hadn't seen those images, you may have not even wanted the thing that you're now desiring so ravenously. It's a theory of mimetic desire. 
It's, and it gets in your heart. And here's the thing. All of a sudden, those things program what, you're gonna, what you desire. And my only point in saying that is, is you need to be able to evaluate whether your desires are really being birthed in God or if you're just looking around trying to find worth in all the things around you and looking at images of other people and comparing yourself to other people and trying to be someone that God's not called you to be. I can look at videos of other preachers, but God ain't called me to be another preacher. He's called me to be me. I can't compare myself to them. I'm in Clay County. I'm in Manchester. I'm designed the way that I'm designed. I have the dialect that I have. I have the wisdom and understanding that I have. I have the knowledge that I've obtained to this point. I can't be somebody else. So if I'm looking at somebody else, the only thing that I can do is glean from them, celebrate them, appreciate the gift and calling upon their life, and realize that if they are better than me, then it's for a purpose. But also, we are all complementary in this game. Every piece is needed whether you think it's great or whether you think it's little. And we have to be content in that. Now, James 13, 3, verse 13 through 36, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. When you begin to envy other people and when you have selfish ambition, he says it becomes a root of all kinds of other sins. One of the main ones I think that envy actually leads to is gossip. Because what happens is when you envy another, another person, you feel devalued, you feel less than, so the only way that I'm going to feel better is what? If I take the person that I'm envy, envying and I talk about them negatively to pull them down on my loser level. Anybody amen me on this this morning? I'm going to pull, I, that, so I got to use gossip to tear them down. It's like my buddy, I, somebody said, well, man, that, oh gosh, it's just awesome over there. That preacher's just awesome. I'm like, yeah, he ain't that great. Yeah. I got, I got a couple people out. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I'm just, I'm just revealing to you the heart of human beings. And it's in you too. You have a difficult time celebrating people like that. So if you are going to overcome envy, I'm going to give you quick, five quick things, and then I'm going to try to finish up as quickly as possible. But to, the, to overcome envy, the first thing you have to do is you have to die to the competition game. Mark Twain says the highest aspiration of the human being is to get others to envy them. But the Bible actually says that that competition game, that life of you trying to succeed and get other people to envy you, that's actually called death. It destroys you. It destroys the human soul. You have to die to that way of life that says it's fullness of life when you win the competition. Matthew 10, 39 says this. Whoever finds their life or wins the competition will lose it. And whoever loses their life or gives up on the competition, for my sake, they will find it. Jesus is calling you to give up on the competition game and say that's not where you're going to find your worth. Because look, this game that defines you by what you possess, by what kind of recognition you can get, and by what you accomplish, I promise you, it will wear you out. You'll never get there. You'll never get there. And you're going to end up losing it all anyway. 1 John 2, 15, 16. Let me read this to you. I like this in the message. It says, Don't love the world's ways and don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, and wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him and the world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. See, when your worth and identity hangs on your image or your looks or your career or your success, it is draining and you can't hang on to all that because I promise you, whatever you gain in this life, houses, cars, success, careers, money, all that stuff, guess what? The Scripture says that you came into this world with nothing and you're going to leave with nothing out of this world. And the only thing that you will take with you into eternity is the love that you had for God and the love that you had for one another. And this is why Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust does destroy and corrupt, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You know how you store up for yourself treasures? in heaven, you learn to deal with the currency of heaven, with it, which is love and faith. 
And those two things are the things that you're going to be able to take with you in the end. See, there's only one battle that you can win in this life. You're going to lose every other battle. You're going to lose everything that you possess. Everything's going to be lost one day. It's all going to burn up. But there's only one battle you can win, and that's the battle that has already been won in Jesus Christ. That on the cross, He won the battle for our sin. He won the battle over our shame. And guess what? He says that when I was crucified, you were dead to sin. And He said, and and that same stroke, I defeated the principalities and the powers, and I crucified you to the world and the world to you. And you no longer have to live for the world because I've set you free to live for me, to live for a greater purpose, an eternal purpose that matters, that makes sense. I'm going to read one last verse here, Philippians 4. It says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Now, notice this, because, because the next verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or gives me strength. We put that on shoes, man, and we're talking about, I can do all things through Christ, man. I can cross somebody over. I can shoot threes, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's pretty much how it's used for today. It's used for whatever we want. But the context of it is he's saying, look, I've learned to be content whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or I have nothing. And then the next verse he says, put it up there, 413, I can do all this through him, through Christ who gives me strength. See? He's saying that all of a sudden you can live in any circumstance of life. Why? Because you realize that life is not about circumstance. Life is about the one who lives on the inside of you. That's what life is about. Christ is our life. And he says you begin to get your identity in that. You all can come to the music. I'm going to finish with four last quick things and we'll be done. The second, if the first thing is to die to the competition game, the second thing is, is that you have to remember, you've got to remember what you have. You've got to remember what you have in Christ. See, because the world actually teaches us, the world actually teaches us to focus on the 5% of people who have more than we have rather than focusing on the 95% of people who don't have near what we have. That's just what, what Forrest said earlier today. I'm telling you, right now in this world, right now, look, we, we live in one of the poorest counties in the nation, yet everybody in this building, 95% of the world has less than you do. That is crazy to think about. We were wondering whether or not we are going to have church this morning because we didn't have electricity. Man, half the world don't have electricity. They have mud huts to get up in. They had to come out under the sun this morning to have church because they, didn't, they don't have electricity. See, we, we, it's, it's all about perspective. You have to remember what you do have. And see, here's the thing. In our world, somebody said one time that advertisement is getting people to spend money they don't have on things they don't need to impress people that don't care. That's what advertisement is. Spend money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people who don't care. And he says you get, you get caught up in that function. You get caught up in that rat race. And here's what God is saying. He said, you've got to remember what you have because why, why would you worry about somebody else's possessions when God has already said that you are an inheritor of all things? That you have a stinking mansion waiting on you in heaven that's more beautiful than any house that's ever been built on this earth. He says, in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it doesn't matter what you have on this earth because this is for a short period and that is for eternity. And I'm building you a house. Why I got to be worried about somebody else's house when he's building me one right now that I ain't got to worry about? You understand what I'm saying? And you know what? When somebody else has a house, praise God, I like good houses. But I sure ain't going to envy them over it. I'm going to keep my heart centered on the fact that somebody said, well, well you know, I, I envy this other person's looks. Do you realize you're the radiant bride of Christ? And you're, in his eyes, you're the apple of his eye. You're the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And he speaks that over you every day. We got no reason to ever want something that somebody else wants. But here's the other issue is number three, you got to confess and pray. If you have these things in your heart, the only thing that ultimately is going to uproot it is if you come out with it. And oftentimes, you need to do that with the person that you're feeling bitterness or you're feeling resentment toward. And you just got to go to them and say, look, man, I know I ain't supposed to feel this way. I know I'm not supposed to feel this way, but it's just how I feel. And I want you to pray for me because my heart's not right in this matter. 
And, and, and see, this is, why, this is why God is so good. This is why he says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because love is always relational. And healing comes through what? See, when we get sick and we get broken and there's splits and division and all these things, it's because somehow love has been, been warred against. And the only way to restore that love is to come back to that brother or sister that you have feelings toward. Confess those and pray for one another and say something's coming at our love. Something's coming at our love. And we can't allow that to happen. Confess it. Pray with that person. Number four, pursue relationship. And the reason you've got to pursue relationship is because envy isolates and fuels isolation. Some, see, whenever I felt a certain way about my best friend and what was going on, every time I got around him, guess what? It made me feel inadequate for a while. It made me feel like I just wasn't near as good. and Like I stank and everything I did was awesome. What do you do when you feel that way? You avoid them. Because you don't want to feel that way. And what I'm saying is you have to resist that. You have to pursue relationship with those people in order to make sure that your heart is in a good condition. And here's, here's the thing that you'll find. I remember one time, I, there, there's another guy that I, that I sort of just, every time I saw him, I was like, man, I wish I could be more like that guy. I wish I could be like, more like that guy. And we talked for a while, and all of a sudden after we were talking, he was like, dude, you know what, man, I envy you. I was like, you shut up. Again, you know. But the point is, is whoever you envy and whoever you think is awesome, I promise you, they got just as much struggle and just as much problems as you do. They got the same issues that you've got. And if you'll go and carry their burdens and love on them and confess the way you're feeling, you're going to find out that they got the same feelings that are just like. But if you don't pursue a relationship, guess what? You're going to get this narrative in your head about them that's totally wrong. That's not even real. And lastly you got to remind yourself that your identity is found in Jesus alone. Everything that says you're not enough, I promise you this morning, it's a lie. Everything that says you don't have enough, you need to do more, you need to be better, I promise you, it's a lie. Jesus says there's one thing that's needful. See, we love because he first loved us. And what he wants you to do is learn that there's one thing that's necessary, and that is to receive the love of the Father for you, to know day in, day out, that you're defined by Him. You're not defined by this world or what you own or what you have or your successes or your achievements or what you do. You are defined by the fact that the one who created the world loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine and it is an unconditional love. And the very reason that you are empty and the very reason that you're feeling so distraught and, and, and bitter and upset about some of the things that are going on in life is because you've not went to the source lately and let Him love on you. And if you let him love on you, all of a sudden you realize, you know what? It doesn't matter what other people think about me. It doesn't matter if I don't obtain everything else that everybody else is obtaining because I've already obtained the one thing that matters, that defines who I am and what I am. Amen? Would you bow your heads just for a moment? I know this is spoken to people. I know that, that there's issues in everybody's heart. And here's, here's what I really believe. I believe that, that the Lord's going to start to give you instructions. And it may not even be envy. It may be something else. It may be pride. It may be bitterness or resentment against somebody for something that they've done. But God's going to give you the grace right now to see that thing, to shine His light on that issue and say to you just so lovingly, you don't need that anymore. There's no reason for that to be there because you are complete in Christ. He defines who you are. That thing doesn't define who you are. You don't have to compare yourself with anybody else anymore. And he's going he's gonna to show you what you need to do, where you need to pursue relationships, where you need to confess, where you need to pray. And so, Father, I just pray right now that you would give us a revelation of your love for each one of us, that you would pour that love on every person and help them to realize that they don't need another thing except your love. And pour that love into them so deeply and so full, God, that it would begin to flow through them to others around them. And break every chain, God. Uproot all envy, all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy. And let the real us begin to come to the surface, God. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We're open to you. In the name of Jesus. I want you to just sit right there for a minute. And, and, and here's what I want you to do.